You've had a successful career. You're utilizing your education. You've gotten the promotions. The benefits package is good. But are you doing what you love? On this episode, how to take the steps to find your calling. This is Coaching for Leaders, episode 352. Produced by Innovate Learning. Maximizing human potential. Greetings to you from Orange County, California. This is Coaching for Leaders, and I'm your host, Dave Stahoviak. Leaders aren't born, they're made. And this weekly show gives you access to the practical wisdom that will empower you to become a better leader. I think all of us have had the thought of, are we in our sweet spot? Have we found our calling? And I know that some of us in our community feel like we are there, we have found our calling. And even if we struggle here and there with uh, daily responsibilities, we feel like we're in our sweet spot. But but yet, I know for many people in our community, we're still working towards that, or maybe we don't feel like we're in that place at all. Today's guest is going to help us to really illuminate a path that's going to get us further along that journey to be able to do the things that we really are meant to be doing. I'm thrilled to welcome Ken Coleman to the show today. Ken is the host of The Ken Coleman Show and the top-rated Entree Leadership Podcast. He's also the author of One Question, Life-Changing Answers from Today's Leading Voices. Ken is an acclaimed interviewer and broadcaster and equips, encourages, and entertains listeners through thought-provoking interviews helping them to grow their businesses, pursue their passions, and move toward a fulfilled purpose. Ken joined the Dave Ramsey team in 2014 and frequently guest hosts the Dave Ramsey Show, the third-ranked nationally syndicated talk radio show in America. Ken, I'm so glad to welcome you to Coaching for Leaders. I'm glad to be with you, Dave. Thank you. I couldn't help but notice that one of the prominent quotes on your website is this. It says, I left a corporate VP job at 31 to chase a broadcasting dream. There's a story there. Yes. <laughs> what, what happened? How did you get to working for Dave Ramsey and, and leave a job of such prominence? Well, it was a simple, simple tug at my heart, and it just kept getting stronger and stronger. I knew that it was uh, time for me to make a change. And I was vice president of a company in, in Atlanta, Georgia, and I thought that I was in the right place uh, for what I believed at that time was where uh, God wanted me to be and, and the role that I initially felt like I was supposed to play, this was the path. And then as I began to feel restless, I dug into the restlessness, was able to have the blessing of a relationship with a well-known and very respected life coach who I uh, spent about oh, six, ten hours with over a couple of days and, and then began to take his process and apply it. And as I applied the process and just continued to become more aware of who I really was, I realized that the tug was not bad pizza or me just not being in the right place. It was the true calling on my life and it was broadcasting. And so here you are, you didn't go to school for it. So you didn't, you don't have a ton of connections in that area. In fact, hardly any connections at all. No experience, of course. And yet you feel like this is the mountain that I'm supposed to climb. How in the world am I going to climb this thing? And so the journey began with the smallest of beginnings, stayed with it, did not quit supported myself by, by starting my own company. That way I had the day job that I was in charge of and it gave me great flexibility to continue to pursue this on the side. 
and seven and a half years later i get the opportunity to work with dave ramsey and and in the almost four years i've been here it has just been a rocket ship type experience so that's the short answer because that is uh, quite a story that's documentary length the real answer to that question oh gosh i bet i bet and and as i as you were saying that i'm thinking a lot of people listening to this have felt that tug in one mm-hmm. way or the other maybe mm-hmm. you're feeling it right now and have not for whatever reason moved on it what was the thing that actually caused you to move on it yeah, it was. That's a great question. It was as simple as this. I think it was the fear of regret, and I think that I'm the type of person. I think most of us would would agree with this. Yet we don't act on it. I think you come to a fork in the road when you get to that situation, like I was in, where it was a true pull, and it was going to require terrific change and a whole lot of unknown. And we as human beings are afraid of the unknown. It's our greatest fear, actually, not the actual risk, because with risk we kind of know what we're facing. But the fear of the unknown is what terrifies us. But I looked at it, Dave, and I said, I don't want to be on my deathbed surrounded by friends and family and be regretting things that I didn't do, choices that I didn't make, risks that I didn't take. I wanted to be able to sit around and reminisce about how good God was because he stepped up and faithfully uh, provided when I stepped out in faith. So I wanted to reminisce, not regret. And I think it was the fear of regret that, that outweighed the other fears. I've noticed that in your speaking on your show, you often cite this quote from Henry David Thoreau. Mm. Tell me, tell me about what you learned from Thoreau. Yeah, the the it's interesting. The quote I've since done more research, and some of it's attributed to him, and and it's been added to over time. But the quote that people will find on the internet is is this: that most men lead lives of quiet desperation and go to the grave with the song still in them. He actually wrote. Uh, most men lead lives of quiet desperation and just kind of left it at that. And it's been added to. So I want to be historically correct there. So somebody doesn't send you an email. But the point is, whoever added to the rest of that, it was also so wise. Because if we lead lives of quiet desperation, it is, in fact, because we are not living the stories that we were created to live. And I love the analogy of the song, not singing the song uh, they go to the grave with the song still in them. So essentially, you live this whole life, and this is millions and millions of people. They live their entire life without truly ever fulfilling their purpose, their calling. And what a tragic way to live. And I just, I didn't want to be that person. I didn't want to be one of those people. I wanted to give everything I had, leave it all out on the floor. And when my time comes, you know, at least I can say I gave it all I had, and, and uh, I knew exactly why I was here, and I pursued it to the maximum capability. Well, you really are quite an example of having walked that journey yourself. And now you do this for so many others of inspiring mm-hmm. them to take the courageous step to listen to that tug. And so I, I am really curious about how you coach people and talk with people when they come to you with a question like, you know, I'm feeling this tug. And you talk a lot about the sweet spot in your work. Yeah. Tell me about the sweet spot. How, how does that emerge? Yeah, it's a sweet little analogy that a mentor gave to me in my 20s. It's not original to me or even to him. But those of you who at least know some of sport, whether it be uh, hockey or tennis or golf or baseball, the sweet spot gets most of its you know, colloquialism from that analogy there. People get that, that little term. And the idea is, is that when you hit a baseball, 
uh, on the sweet spot of the bat and the right spot of the bat, it literally feels effortless. You can't barely feel the ball against the bat. It almost has a click type feeling, just as simple as a snap or a click is what it feels like. And yet the ball goes faster and farther than if you hit it on any other part of the bat. Same thing with a tennis racket or a golf club uh, or a hockey stick. So the psychologist by the name of Mihai Csikszentmihalyi has spent almost 30 years researching this idea of flow, which is in essence the sweet spot come alive. And he's done all this research. And so when we are using our talent, the things that we do best, the skills, hard skills, soft skills, whatever you want to call them, to do the work that gives us the greatest joy. We enjoy it more than anything else. Time seems to fly. We we just completely love it. Our heart rate goes up and we're consumed with this function or this activity. When we are doing that work with our greatest talents, it is a euphoric state. And that's what Cheek Sent Me High calls living in a state of flow. And so the sweet spot analogy is what I use to help callers and listeners demystify this idea of there is something that I was created to do. Why am I here? And when we can look inward, but not outward, we look inward to see, well, what am I actually really good at? What do I do better than anything else? It's always come easy to me. People compliment me when I am engaged in this type of work. And then we look across to passion, which is what I love to do most. Uh, the questions I ask a lot of people, Dave, to help them begin to get breakthroughs, who do you most want to help? Begin to visualize that person. What do they represent? What is what is their problem? So another way of asking the same question, what problem do you most want to solve? Or another way to say it is, what solution do you most want to provide? If you can answer all three of those questions, and again, the answer is essentially the same, who do I most want to help? What problem do I most want to solve? What solution do I most want to offer? Then we begin to see the clarity come on passion, what I love to do most. And so I help people write a purpose sentence, which says I'm going to use my top skills, blank, 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 however many blanks you need to do blank. And you're describing there the role. I want to fulfill this role because it gives me the greatest joy. And so it's a simple construct and you know this to be true, Dave. You're in a leadership space. The great leaders are the ones that take complex problems and they bring a simple solution. It's always complexity to simplicity, not the other way around. Mm. And so that simple framework, what it does, Dave, is it gets us out of our head and it allows us to look into our heart. And we get self-aware and with awareness comes clarity. With clarity comes confidence, to step forward. And so that's what we do on a day-to-day basis, that simple construct. I heard you say two words there that that really are bubbling up for me. One of them is passion. What do mm-hmm. I love to do? And then the other word used was skills. And I've, I've heard you also say the word talent. And I think those sure. are interchangeable. And so if I'm hearing you right, the sweet spot is the intersection Oh yeah, what yeah, you're good at and and what's okay. your and and what's your passion about it? Is that right? Yeah, I just left that little definition out because I got so excited about talking <laughs> about uh, flow, which is great because you love when the science backs up what people know to be true. But yeah, the the sweet spot for everyone is at the intersection of their top talent and top passion. In other words, you use your top talent to perform your top passion. Very simple. Think of talent or strengths or skills as tools. 
or weapons, if you will, if you're in a fight for something worthy. That's what allows you to do the work that you love to do most. So that's how it works. I am guessing for many people listening who are not feeling like they're in their sweet spot that, and this is purely a guess, but I'm guessing that oftentimes the skills and talents, they've got that figured out. And you get calls like this too, Ken, where people will call and say, or write, Say, you know, I am really successful at what I'm doing. I've had a great progression in my career. The 401k looks great. My family's doing well. But, <laughs> and, and, and the but is, I'm really good at what I do, but I feel like I'm miserable and I don't mm-hmm. feel like I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing, like you were just talking about. When you get a call, where do you start? Well, I'd first of all, let them know that they're in a huge group of people who have pursued something that was safe instead of smart. There's something about our world that, you know, we, we, wanted, we want the safe, 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 go safe, go safe, go safe. And I've said this on my show a hundred times. Sometimes and many times, the safe decision is not always the smartest decision. So at some point, their parents say, go to a school, go to a good school and take out the student loans, but you're going to get a good good degree, get a communications degree, or get a business degree. It's just a good degree to have. And then just go find us a, a good job, a steady job. And if you can move up the ladder, great. And so that has been the progression for most of those people. Almost every time it's that way. Well, I, I say, I'll always start by saying, well, how did you get into what you're doing now? In fact, give you an example. I had a lady call recently who was making $250,000 a year, Dave, and she was just dying at the office. And she's in pharmaceutical sales. So here's a woman who's great at selling. I mean, she's just got all the tools necessary, and she moved up into leadership. So it's not only can she sell, she can lead a sales team. So she's just a bright bulb, one of the great talents uh, in her company. And as a result, she's killing it. Well, again, I asked her, well, what's the story? She goes, well, I've just always been good at sales and thought pharmaceuticals was a great career opportunity. And so I got in it and I've just stayed there and I woke up recently and I just, there's no passion in it at all. There's no joy. I don't, I'm not excited. There's no values connection to the actual work, you know, but I'm really, really good at it and I want to make the transition. Well, what we ended up finding out is I began to ask her follow-up questions. She really did love to sell. So she was doing the right thing, but in the wrong place. So she wants to start her own company, and, and she was very excited about a particular product and that had a potential service attached to it, something she'd always thought would be great. And I asked another couple follow-up questions, and we found out that the product and service that she was interested in launching on her own was something there was a deep personal connection to based on a health issue in her family. And so you know that is the progression for people who are doing something they're good at, but there's no actual passion And you've got to have both to be in your sweet spot. Talent is not enough. You're still going to feel empty. Success without significance is always empty. Now, our world tells us that success is defined by dollar signs, how much money you have, or how much status you have, or how much power you have. Well, that's just simply not true. You can be powerful. You can have a lot of people know your name, and you can have a lot of money. But if you're not engaged in work that matters to you, you don't see meaning, you don't see significance, then it's going to feel empty. And so that's how we dive into it. And we help push people into an area that they have talent and skills to be able to pull it off. But most importantly, it's work that they are so driven 
buy. They love it. They love the result. They love the people that they're helping, the solution they're providing. I saw a quote a while back, and we've used it in our academy from Earl Nightingale, and I, I hope I get it right. I don't have it in front of me, but it's something like, success is the progressive realization of a worthy goal or ideal. Mm-hmm. And I think about that in the context of what you just said, of we think about success as, certainly from our society standpoint here in North American business culture of you know the title and the, the benefits and the salary and all those things. And really, success is making the choice to take the step toward the thing that's worthy and ideal for you and, and mm-hmm. the world and your family, right? That's exactly right. I love how he put that. And, you know, the, the actual Greek word for happiness is eudaimonia. And it's interesting that uh, what they called flourishing, and so we call it happiness, their word was eudaimonia, but the Greek definition of eudaimonia is not happiness, it's human flourishing or prosperity. And so, again, the way they define it, the Greeks, uh, it's awesome. It's actually what you just said with, with Nightingale, and that is the joy you receive in the process of doing the work that you love and the result that you love to see. So again, it comes back to this idea of the process being, you know, the, the, the real definition of happiness or joy. So that even if you eventually get to the Mount Everest in your life, this huge goal, it is the joy and the, the process itself of getting there that gives true, true meaning. And meaning and significance is what human beings truly long for. It's not so much the moment of stepping on to the peak that you have been looking at for a long time. It is what has become of you and what you have learned about yourself and how you've grown in the process of reaching that lofty goal. Mm-hmm. Well, that's a great lead into what I was thinking of asking you next. There are certainly people listening to us right now who have if not done this formally, have, have certainly thought about this and they've got the successful career and they're at the top of the mountain or maybe even near the top of the mountain in their field. And they see another mountain out there and they know they should be on that mountain and not on the one they're on. And yet they've spent 20 years climbing this mountain and they know that if they change, there's a huge life change, career change, um, uncertainty, mm-hmm. like you were talking about. And you did it. You, you know, you did it in your career. When you're talking to someone like that who's very well aware they're on the wrong mountain, <laughs> but is really, really hesitant to go back and backtrack and do all the work that they would need to, to really get in that place, where do you suggest people start? I think it's the quiet time. I would tell those people, and I do tell them, get alone and... I want you to be focusing on two things when you get alone. First, uh, I want you to do your homework on how long you think it's going to take to the best of your ability to take a guess based on what do I have to learn that's new, whether that be more education or some qualifications or certifications, who do I need to know, what else am I going to have to do? When you create the plan, you've got a good idea how much it's going to cost you in relationships and sacrifices, how much it's going to cost you financially. And that's going to determine, obviously, how long it's going to take. So once you know how long it's going to take and how much it's going to cost you within sacrifice and, and, and maybe, you know, things that are really fun in your life that have been perks, you can't play golf anymore. You know, whatever it is, once you know how much it's going to cost and how long it's going to take, 
you're, you're dealing with that amount of time and the sacrifices that are going to be necessary. So that's the first thing you're considering. And then the second thing is, is you consider what's been going on in your head and heart and let it just visualize there and sit there quietly and envision it. Where do you really want to be? And I love how you put it, Dave. You're on one mountaintop, but you want to be at the other mountaintop. So I would envision that other mountaintop and really get a clear vision of how it makes you feel when you think, man, this, is, this would be great if I accomplished this. Mm-hmm. And then switch back. How long is it going to take? How much is it going to cost? Switch back. Do I really, really want to be there? Yeah, I want to be there. How long is it going to take? How much is it going to cost? And then it comes down to this. Is it worth it? Hmm. And then I would actually flip that one more time. Is it worth it if you don't go after it? Is it worth all of the mundane? That's where you're going to get if you're not already in the mundane rhythm of life and you're going to be looking back going, well, I didn't take the chance, but I got to keep my golf membership and got to keep the lake house and blah, 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 blah. Just fill it out. Is it worth it if you don't chase it? Is it worth it if you do chase it and you get there? And I find that every time I put that question to the test, the answer is yes, it's going to be worth it. It took me seven and a half years. And what's funny about that, Dave, is I told the story on the stage in Boston uh, recently to a crowd of 6,000 people. I, when I first launched into this, going after this thing, I told my wife, I said, you know what, babe, I, best I can tell, it might be five to seven years before I catch a really good size break. This is going to be a long slog. And she was like, I'm all in. That's cool. And would you believe that it was seven and a half years when I got the opportunity to come to Dave? And it's been, a, like I said, a rocket ship ride since. So Dave was the big break for me. There's no question about it, but I had to be willing to do it. And not only did I stay with it, I anticipated it might take five to seven years. It took seven and a half, a little bit more than I even predicted to my wife. But I'm going to tell you right now, it was absolutely worth it. And she would say the same thing. So you got to ask yourself, is it worth it? And is it worth the change? Is it worth the sacrifice? Is it worth the waiting? And I would tell you, it's absolutely worth it. You quote the late, great John Wooden in some of your work, and I know you interviewed him uh, previously. He said, when opportunity comes, it's too late to prepare. Mm-hmm. It just seems so much in line with what you just said. Yeah. I mean, I had to be willing to take a broadcasting school at the age of 31 with a bunch of 20-year-olds who had no clue, and they were a different life phase than I was in. But here I am. You know, just swallowing humble pie every day, Mm. learning how to do play-by-play. The first live broadcast I ever did was play-by-play high school football on the internet. There were two people listening, Dave. (laughs) One, the guy next to me, and the other one, my wife, because she's a good woman. (laughs) And, you know, that's how I started. And you got to be willing to do that because what Wooden is saying is you have to prepare. You have to get yourself in a place that you can actually stand and perform when you get the opportunity, because you can't just say, oh, I want to do this. I want to do broadcasting and never do it and then get yourself a chance and then be able to pull it off. First of all, you'd never get the chance anyway. So I don't know why we live that way when it sounds absurd to think that I could just tell everybody that I know for seven and a half years that I think I got what it takes. And then because I know Dave Ramsey, he calls me one day and says, hey, I know you've never done any radio before, Ken, but I want you to host my show today. <laughs> right. Like, no, like if I say that, you're laughing because it's so absurd. Yet we live that way. Yeah, yeah. Well, wait a second. If it's absurd to hear a story like that, it's absurd to think that if you don't start small and put in the time and the effort and you start 
knocking off many milestones. Well, I learned how to do this and now that's going to make me better the next time. If you don't put yourself out there and fail so that you can sit back and go, oh, I don't ever want that feeling again. How do I avoid that feeling? Well, do this, do this and do this or don't do this next time. I mean, that's how you learn and that's how I learned. And I had to face all that anxiety and face all that insecurity and face all of the failure and rejection in order to get the chance. But I can tell you this, Dave, Dave Ramsey himself never pulled me aside in his office and said, all right, I know you're filling in for me and no one's ever filled in for me in 25 years. No one has ever sat in my chair. So I want to go over a couple of things I want you to do. Do you know that he never did that? He just simply said, would you like to do it? And of course I said, yes. And I went and did it, but only because I had earned that trust. I had earned that credibility and that did not come easy and it did not come quick. At the danger of perhaps taking an analogy too far, I'm thinking about the two mountaintops we've been talking about. And Mm -hmm. I think the sense is a lot of times if you get to the top or near the top of a mountain and you realize you're on the wrong mountain, that you really have to start over. And, 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 Often, I found, I've certainly had this happen in my career where it felt like that. And then when I really thought about it and talked to others, I realized, no, I don't actually have to go all the way back down the mountain and all the way back up. Like there's there's other ways to maybe jump over and, That's right. and, and, and leverage. Have you fa- Do you find that to be true with people too? I think you're absolutely spot on there. So let's stay inside of your analogy and let's just rename it. It's not starting over. I just think it's a detour. I, I just liken it as you're you're moving forward purposefully on a path or a road and a roadblock happens or you run that thing off in the ditch your car or whatever so in both of those scenarios what happens well if there's a roadblock then that means you're gonna have to take another route you got to find another route and it may take you sideways for a little bit but eventually get you right back on the path and then you go farther or let's say that you wreck the car or the engine blows or you get a a flat tire so you get a flat tire and it stops you you don't call the car dealership and buy a new car. You call AAA, they come out, fix your flat tire, and you get going again. I think that's what we're talking about here. I think that's the, the, the visual. And it's rarely starting completely over. It's just, okay, I had a failure. There was a stoppage. What do I need to learn? What do I need to do to keep moving? Mm. It's very simple. What do I need to learn to avoid this from happening again? Sometimes you can't avoid it again. But it never has to stop you. It just delays you. So you learn something or you adjust. So the next time you get a flat tire, you're not as panicked. You know exactly what to do and you move through it more efficiently. It's the same thing. I rarely, rarely, rarely see somebody have to start completely over and going back to the starting line. I just don't think that really happens very often. Yeah, I agree. I I find often, and even if we can't often see it ourselves, the people around us can say, hey, you know, you should leverage the last six years of experience you've been doing this and maybe think about it a different way or tweak it a different way. All of a sudden, you can shorten that distance. And uh, that's right. It's it's hard to see ourselves sometimes. One question I'm really curious about is you you work for a directly for a very high profile, well known leader, Dave Ramsey. There are people in our audience who also work for very high-profile people, maybe not as well-known as Dave Ramsey, but equally high-profile in their industries. Now that you've worked for Dave for about four years, what's one piece of advice you have for leaders who are working for someone who's got a really high profile? I think the best piece of advice I would give would be to remember that you do not just represent yourself. 
or the company you work for, but you also represent that person who has a high profile. You get a lot of benefits when you work for somebody who's high profile. You get a lot of their trust that they have established. It gets transferred to you. You get a lot of credibility that they've earned that gets transferred to you. And so you have a very, very, I believe, high responsibility, very important responsibility to remember that you represent them as well. So for instance, I am so blessed with Dave's trust and his audience's trust. I am blessed with his credibility has rubbed off on me and I have to maintain that in my actions. And uh, I am representing Dave because Dave platforms me and promotes me and believes in me. So my professional actions and my personal actions also come back and reflect on Dave And I think that's important. And I think if you can remember that, it's going to hold yourself to a higher standard than maybe you would normally do. And and I think it is important. And that's why I say that, you know, you should always act the right way because it's you and and you should be a man or a woman of principle. But I have an even greater responsibility to represent Dave well. In the spirit of that, what's something you do differently today that maybe you didn't do in your past careers or past positions before you were working for Dave? I just think about everything I do in public a lot more, and I'm careful about what I tweet. I'm careful about uh, how I act in public if somebody wrongs me. I mean, I'm no different than anybody else. So if I'm at a uh, youth basketball game, and this is a scenario that happened to me not too long ago, I'm coaching a team, and the other team's coach uh, is just completely no class at all. And just... It was just an awkward situation, and he's he's trying to provoke me, uh, get up in my face, and I've got to remember right there what I really want to do is just give it right back to him and yeah. put him in his place. But I had to remember people know who I am. They know my name. They know I work with Dave Ramsey, and maybe I wouldn't have as much patience. Maybe I wouldn't have been as gracious mm. as I was uh, I certainly hope I would have been because my kid was right there watching me. But just you know, being completely vulnerable here, there's no question that my position and my relationship to Dave certainly – I'm just giving you one example. Yeah. But I don't know that I would have been that thoughtful in the moment. I may have been a little bit more reactive. Would I have lost my cool? Maybe, maybe not. But I didn't say anything. I just held back and let the guy make a doofus out of himself and everybody else jumped to my defense and it fizzled out and I walked away looking pretty darn good. But again, a lot of that was because I knew that people were watching me. Yeah. You know, uh, boy, responsibility and leadership, I mean, certainly in some ways can bring out the worst in us if we don't if we don't handle it well but in also a lot of ways it can bring out the best in us too you know i mean what a great example of that thank you for sharing that you know one of the things that our audience is always curious about is especially when they hear from people like you are really successful in what you're doing is where they stumble and you i've i've watched you speak i've heard you on the radio you are exceptionally good in your platform presentation skills i mean you are on when you misstep or make a mistake you laugh at yourself you poke fun at yourself you're present, you're calm, you're cool, you're confident. So where do you stumble? <laughs> where do you fall short that we don't sometimes see publicly? Yeah, I, I think that I stumble with, the thing that I stumble with most, professionally and personally, is as calm as you say I am on the stage. I'm not always that way in the day-to-day operations with my team. 
for those who uh, value personality profiles, I am a high D, high I on the disc and high D's. And, I, and what's interesting, Dave, is I'm 100 on both. So it, I can almost be Jekyll Hyde for, for folks. And, and the high I is the extreme extrovert, fun-loving, love to poke fun at myself to make one person laugh, life of the party, love making people feel good. And But yet I can also be high D, which means I'm no holds barred, get it done. And, some, and at times you're not as sensitive because you are bottom line driven only. And so you can be a bit of a bull in a china shop uh, when it comes to focus. And so I stumble with, I'm a very passionate, enthusiastic guy. And where I stumble is when I am completely locked in in an intense moment, maybe because I'm tired and I've got some deadlines or stress or I'm under some type of performance pressure and I can be a bit too intense at times. The good news is, is that I am high eye and if a teammate says, hey, that was a little out of line or hey, relax, man, or I can read someone's face, I can snap out of it for a moment and see that I'm coming across a little bit too intense, I'm able to just dial it back and also ask for forgiveness, call myself out, no excuses. And so I'm able to make up for it. And that's thankfully because of the high eye. So I'm not... Um, I don't have a lack of self-awareness. So I don't mind sharing that with your audience because I think that uh, hard drivers like me, uh, we see, you see us publicly and you just see the smiling Ken, the guy helping Ken all the time. But there are times where, where I can get those racing blinders on, you know, like a horse. Those horses have blinders on for one reason, to keep them from looking at other horses. They're only focused ahead. And I can be like that at times. And when you're like that and you get on a racetrack, you can bump into people and you can run into them a little bit. And so I'm very cognizant of it, and I put things in place to try to guard from that. But that's where I stumble. Ken, this has been really fabulous. I know that you're evoking uh, thoughts for people who are in this place of wanting to find their sweet spot. If that is you, a couple of things you'll want to do to start finding your calling, check out The Ken Coleman Show. Ken's airing it regularly. It's a top-rated careers podcast on iTunes. Also, check out the book, one question, uh, life-changing answers from today's leading voices. We'll have all the links in the show notes in this week's leadership guide. Ken, thank you so much for your time. I'm grateful for it. Thanks, Dave. I enjoyed it. Hey, if you're in the Southern California area, heads up an opportunity to connect with me personally the morning of Tuesday, June 12th, 2018. I've received a kind invitation, which I've accepted from the Association for Talent Development here in Orange County to present on this topic, what the top leadership experts are teaching, messing up and changing their minds on. I'm going to be presenting live uh, some of the lessons I've learned from the experts who have appeared on the show over the last couple of years. If you're in the area, Tuesday, June 12th, 2018, the morning, you are welcome to join us. It is $15 to attend. Here's where you need to go. Coachingforleaders.com slash ATDOC. That stands for Association for Talent Development, Orange County. And I'd love to connect with you personally. Again, if that's of interest, coachingforleaders.com slash ATDOC on June 12th, 2018. Now, a few related episodes to today's conversation. If you are wanting to do a deeper dive on your career right now and are interested in some of the lessons from past episodes, a few I'd recommend that if you click on the careers 
topic in the Coaching for Leaders library that you're going to come up with. One of them is episode 149, An Astronaut's Guide to Life on Earth with Chris Hatfield. Chris is the former commander of the International Space Station, a career astronaut. And on episode 149, he shared a lot of his thinking, not just about his time on the space station. Actually, we talked more about his career as a whole and some of the ways he has framed his career experiences in order to be valuable to the rest of us. If that's of interest to you, check out episode 149. Also of value will be episode number 175, how to know when to move on. That is a question I have gotten many times from clients over the years of asking, is this the right time to move on? In episode 175, I shared some of the key things that I found to be helpful in my own career. And I've also often found myself talking with clients about when they have faced that question. If that is somewhere you're at right now, episode 175 will be valuable to you. Also, episode 259, how to figure out your career. Scott Barlow was on that episode. He is the host of the Happen to Your Career podcast. By the way, if you are going through a career transition right now or thinking about it, definitely check out Happen to Your Career. Scott has tons of great things to share over there, and it's a valuable compliment to the show. On episode 259, he talked about what are some of the things he walks through through the folks they're coaching with and clients when they're going through career transitions, tons more on his website as well too. And then finally, I'd recommend episode 340. Liz Wiseman was on the show on episode 340, talking about the benefit of being a rookie based on her book, Rookie Smarts. And if you make a career transition, you're probably going to find yourself in that situation where you're a rookie. I know I've been in that situation a whole bunch of times. It's not that comfortable. And yet, it turns out that being a rookie comes with a lot of opportunities and benefits. So episode 340 is a great episode to check out as well. Now, how do you get access to all of those past episodes? Just go over to coachingforleaders.com and set up your free membership. It'll give you access to all the past episodes, searchable by topic. In addition, my free audio course titled 10 Ways to Empower the People You Lead. And if that's not enough, the weekly leadership guide comes with it all of the member casts, my book notes. There's a whole bunch in the free membership site there. You can get access to all of it absolutely free. Just go over to coachingforleaders.com, set up your free membership, and please also join me next week. I'm going to be having a great conversation about how to enhance your own self-awareness with the one and only Daniel Goleman. He's the person who popularized the term emotional intelligence, has been researching it for well over 20 years. If you'd like to hear Daniel Goleman's wisdom on how you can improve your emotional intelligence, join us next week. Have a great week and see you next week with Daniel Goleman. Take care.